breaking news. A federal judge in California says President Trump corruptly attempted to obstruct Congress. President Biden speaks at Warsaw rallying the world while Trump holds a rally for Putin in Georgia. Apparently, America hits the lowest unemployment rate since 1969. The January 6th committee seems ready to interview Ginny Thomas. Are you ready for a Midas Touch podcast? Ben, Brett, and Jordy fighting for democracy with you each and every day, each and every pod. And our guest today, Craig Unger, the author of American Compromat, who also wrote a new piece for the New Republic called How Republicans Spent Decades Cozying Up to Putin's Kremlin. There's no equivocation with Craig Unger, who says he's 100 percent sure that President Trump was a and is a Russian asset and the GOP is Brett and Jordy. Are you ready for an action packed news filled edition of Midas Touch podcast? What an intro. What an intro. And I'm fired up right now. I don't know about you, Jordy, but Ben's I, got me ready I couldn't to even go. do my hand thing. I didn't like no, I just I let Ben go. No I just room let for, Ben go. No time for the hand thing. Ben is no just on. No time for the hand thing. No time for even Fire. you and Brett and Jordy talking anymore. Let's get right. What? Let's what? Get, no time for the hand thing is what Brett used to say to me in high school. Let's get right into it. Uh, a judge in California, a judge who I've appeared in front of before, Judge David Carter, has issued a ruling in a case involving uh, John Eastman, who's identified himself as the president's lawyer during the January 6th time period. Federal Judge Carter accepted those representations in his ruling that John Eastman was the lawyer. And John Eastman was withholding about 111 documents from the January 6th panel saying these documents were subject to attorney-client privilege. He probably should have just turned those documents over rather than seeking a preliminary injunction so that the judge would actually review these documents and have to make a finding whether what's called a crime fraud exception applies. So Brett and Jordy, Ben, as the lawyer, let me just break yeah, it ben, down. We're, we're the layman's over here. I've heard the term crime fraud exemption. I've heard you say it multiple times. But what does it exactly mean here in this new bombshell federal judge filing? Well, the attorney client privilege says that confidential communications between client and their attorney or communications between client and attorney in furtherance of that representation and furtherance of a litigation is subject to what's called attorney client privilege, meaning it would remain confidential and not be disclosed because when people talk to their attorney and want legal advice, the law says we want that to remain confidential, except of course, if you're planning a crime with your lawyer that so let is me get this no -no. straight you could as a lawyer you're allowed to defend your client who's accused of a crime but you're not allowed to go so far as to actually start committing crimes with your client everybody has the right to a lawyer in our system if you are accused of criminal conduct that is what our constitution is for but you do not have the constitutional right to go about committing crimes with your lawyer and the January 6th uh, panel. The January it's called a criminal attorney, not a criminal, criminal attorney. attorney. Ah, exactly. nice. Exactly. And there were a number of 
uh, crimes the January 6th committee told this judge that were committed by Trump and Eastman, um, including 18 USC 371 conspiracy to defraud the United States and 1512 C2, which criminalizes obstruction or attempted obstruction of an official proceeding and common law fraud. And let me just read from this uh, 44 page order, quote, the court finds more likely than not that President Trump corruptly attempted to obstruct the joint session of Congress on January 6, 2021. That's the part that lots of people are focused on. But let me bring you a little bit further down in the ruling as Dig well. In Quote, for us. Dig the in illegality for us. of the down. plan was obvious. Our nation was founded on the peaceful transition of power, epitomized by George Washington, laying down his sword to make way for democratic elections. Ignoring this history, President Trump vigorously campaigned for the vice president to single-handedly determine the results of the 2020 election. President Trump knowingly tried to subvert this fundamental principle, and the federal judge called this a coup, a coup in search of a legal theory. He used the word coup. Now, just some background on Judge Carter, Vietnam veteran, no-nonsense judge, pro-democracy judge. I called this on the Legal AF podcast that I do with Popak weeks ago that Judge Carter was not going to take kindly to a coup against the United States. He goes on to say in the concluding paragraphs that this ruling itself, this is not a civil case. This is not a criminal case. This is a case that he's overseeing. That That is the case that he's overseeing is just about documents about ordering Eastman to turn over documents. And basically 95% of the documents he ordered to be turned over, like 101, I think he clawed back about 10 documents. But he was saying that there needs to be accountability. There needs to be accountability. There needs to be justice, Brett Jordy. And I think I frequently, you know, I, I frequently joke, like, obviously we knew that. We knew that Trump was engaged in a conspiracy to defraud the United States. We knew he obstructed an official proceeding. We've known this the entire time. But to finally be hearing a federal judge utter those words, to finally, to finally be hearing a federal judge call this a coup, that's a big, big, big deal, folks. Ben, as a layman, I got to ask you, what happens next here? Do the documents go straight to the Jan 6 committee or is there an appeals process now? I know lawyers like to do their little appeals all the time after these cases. So what, what what's the next step? The next step, Eastman will, can have an opportunity to appeal. He can do a petition to the Ninth Circuit not to turn over those records. Um, although me, when I read the order, I'm not even necessarily sure that the, that those subset of records that he was fighting to keep privileged are even going to be like all that bombshell anyway. Like to me, the bombshell is a judge has reviewed the full record and has mm -hmm. reached that conclusion. Yeah, exactly. And so to me, that's kind of the big headline here. Eastman can appeal to the Ninth Circuit. It's going to go nowhere. These documents will be turned over to the January 6th committee. But the bombshell is a federal judge to say that the DOJ, no doubt, is going to take notice of that ruling of this order by this federal judge, a very well-respected federal judge. And this was really the first time. It's why this is such big news for a federal judge to say it in such clear, stark, unequivocating terms like, 
this. And speaking of unequivocating terms, clear terms, although some people wanted to try to parse it and try to make, you know, unnecessary BS about it, Brett, maybe break down President Biden's powerful speech in Warsaw. President Biden gave a speech in Warsaw, Poland, about the Russian invasion into Ukraine. I really think this has been, and I've said it before on this podcast, I really think this has been President Biden's finest hour of his presidency. I think the way he is bringing together the world, the way he has brought together NATO, like it's a comment that Biden has said frequently too, that Putin thought that he was going to divide the world, but he actually made the world that much stronger and that much closer. Uh, Biden was not mincing words during this speech. One of the interesting things I thought he said earlier on was he said, to Putin, he, he said directly, don't even think about moving on one single inch of NATO territory. He said, or NATO will come with the full force of our collective power. He said, American forces are not in Europe to engage in conflict with Russian forces. American forces are here to defend NATO. A lot of riveting words. He laid out the stark contrast between our fight between democracy and autocracy. And he laid it out clearly in those terms. You could either be on the side of democracy or the side of autocracy. And that to me is not just the message to the world, but it's also a message as to what's going on here in the United States. We're facing the same battle on a different level here in the USA, a battle of democracy versus autocracy. And then one line that Biden apparently had ad-libbed in the middle of the speech is what is sort of gaining the most attention here. And that's when President Biden said, for God's sakes, this man cannot remain in power speaking about Vladimir Putin. And when I heard that, when I heard him cap off his address with that statement, I was like, yes, exactly. That's the kind of language we need to be using. This is exactly what we need to be saying. Now, the media has not stopped talking about this comment as some sort of horrible, horrific gaffe. You know, it's one thing if you don't agree with it, but it was pretty clear to me that President Biden knew what he was saying and said it clear. And I have to also kind of blame the White House here absolutely, for the, for the way they kind of tried to walk it back and ease it on. I mean, here's my problem with politicians in general and the way like uh, political organizations and, and offices work with, and various politicians. They are like they're scared of their own shadow too often. And when somebody says what everybody else is thinking. And I don't think President Biden was even calling for we need to oust Putin, but it's a pretty clear and I think a, a commonly held belief that a maniac who is committing genocide on people all across the world, who is oppressing his own people like this does not belong in power. I don't who think has that's access a, to nuclear weapons. I don't think that's a controversial statement to, to, to be made. But then this sort of half assed walk back by the White House at the end to me, I think kind of I think it hurt the point a little bit. And I think it made the media attention even greater. You know, it's sort of like a, a Streisand effect, if you will, where the White House said the president's point was that Putin cannot be allowed to exercise power over his neighbors or the region. A White House official said he was not discussing Putin's power in Russia or a regime change. What I wish they said was like, you're damn right. Putin can't be in power. Absolutely. Putin can't be in power. You heard what he said. His words speak for himself. That's what I was kind of hoping from the White House. But he you have said this- what he said. Don't walk it back. It was a powerful statement. He meant every single word of it. Don't give the media that out than to jump on you and play this weird both sides is that they love to play. If you want to walk it back, though, I think the way you could walk it back, though, is to say, Yes, Biden meant what he said. As long as Putin is engaged in this genocidal conduct, 
then he cannot remain in power. If Putin chooses to work with the international community again and withdraw from Ukraine and, you know, provide reparations, you know, then there could be discussions. Like, I think there's a pivot there, but I also don't want to put the full blame on the White House. I mean, I do want to focus on my frustrations with the media, focusing on that, the around the clock coverage on, oh, is this a gaffe? You know, it's every day, President Trump said the dumbest, most hysterical shit in the world, including that same day as the speech. And we'll get into that shortly. <laughs> you know, and I mean, during the presidency, the media with such kind of kid gloves when it came to Trump on every day, there would be so many gaffes that it was literally all gaffes that the media was kind of outgunned by gaffes. The media couldn't keep up with the gaffes. So the media was like, let's just not even focus on any of these issues. It is too difficult. Oh, man, I'm going to have to call Kellyanne Conway and ask for a comment. That's going to be annoying. I'm not even going to reach out for a comment because I just have to deal with these shitheads versus no, you could have been laser focused. You could have held accountability. The media should have been, frankly, what the January 6th committee is to January 6th. Like the mm. steadfastness of the January 6th committee and the way they fought. They've been criticized. You're going too slow, this, that, and the other. But they've been in court every day fighting and winning battles, laser focused on getting information. Whereas the media was like, okay, what story can I write today? You know, it was like, all right, let me write this story. You know, let's not even focus on the key critical issues at, at stake here. Brett, what were you going to say? I, I was going to say, and, and the reporters sometimes admit it. And I, I, I don't mean to keep bringing Daniel Dale into it, but he's like the fact checker guy. And, you know, you've seen him post multiple times. He'll be like, I, I just found an example of one of these tweets. Trump last night released a 14 minute Facebook video full of lies about the election. It's too bonkers, irrelevant to even bother fact checking at this moment. It's like, why? That, so that is so pathetic. That is the, that, that is so <laughs> fucked. That is so pathetic. I, did Fuck he, you, Daniel. I used to know that, Brett. That's huge. He wrote that today? No, it wasn't today. But this this was in December at the height of when the election was attempted to be over. This was right before January 6th, the one that I found. But I've seen him write this multiple times. You know what that would be like as a lawyer, me saying, wow, this is a very challenging case. It's way too difficult for me to even deal with. I'm not even <laughs> going to trust do me that it's bad. I'm just not trust even, me that I'm not it's even bad. Do, judge, just judge. Take my word for it. OK, imagine the January 6th committee basically said, you know, John Eastman's legal arguments, judge, it's just so bonkers. It's so wacky. <laughs> I'm not even going to go tell you. Take my word for it. No, that is journalistic malpractice by Daniel yeah. Dale and by, you know, and he's the representative of it. But that right there, Brett. Yeah, I didn't even mean to pick the, on him there, but I just he was the perfect example <laughs> of the issue that I see in the media that the thing is, if everything is a 10 and with Trump, everything is a 10 right on like the crazy batshit crazy scale. If everything is a 10, then there's nothing new to report on because oh, it's just Trump being bonkers and crazy again. Nothing to see here. But if you have somebody who's measured and competent and knows what the hell he's doing like President Biden. And then he says something that deviates from what you think he is going to say. All of a sudden it's red alert. Let's talk about it on the media for the next two weeks as the biggest gaffe on the planet. Biden knew what he said. President Biden knew what he said. And my, you know, my, my probably best kind of take on 
maybe what the White House is also doing there is maybe there is a sort of good cop, bad cop thing happening here where you got the benefit of President Biden out there saying exactly what he needed to be said, saying exactly what the international community needed to hear. And then the White House gets to be like, oh, no, nah, he wasn't talking. He wasn't talking about that. You know, come on, come on, come on, guys. And so you can sort of get this good cop, bad cop where he gets his message out without making it an official U.S. policy, you know, of, of regime change. So there's also okay. that sort of idea. I mean, their strategy involved in, in everything that's done. I just think they were I, not a very, fan of the walk back. Not a very, fan of the walk philosophical back. Philosophical of you, Jordy. Now go going <laughs> not a fan of the walk back. <laughs> very philosophical words there. Um, going to from you're Warsaw. Such a, you're such an asshole. <laughs> going from Warsaw <laughs> to Commerce, a small city northeast of Atlanta. Trump's big Georgia rally this past weekend was a big dud. I think there was it was sparsely attended. Maybe a few thousand people with all empty chairs everywhere. It was, again, the greatest hits of Trump's grievances. You had Trump had, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene said all of the crazy shit that she said. You had Senator Perdue called for Governor Kemp, who he praised a year earlier to be locked up and imprisoned. That's just their go to line to just lock each other up now is is what Senator Perdue um, said about Governor Kemp. Donald Trump, the rally, the timing of it really appeared to be counter programming of Biden's speech in Warsaw as Biden called for Putin to be removed from power. Trump called on Biden to be disqualified and the Biden administration to be disqualified from having any policy in Ukraine. I mean, literally parroting Putin talking points. You have someone who represents the other political party, the main political party, the radical right Republicans, as they call themselves now, the extremist Republicans. Their position is that the commander in chief should be disqualified from foreign affairs. The way the Republicans try to demonize Democrats, our military, they try to demonize them as the enemy. They do demonize them as the enemy. For the Republicans, Democrats are far worse than Vladimir Putin, than Russia. Trump Trump believes Kim Jong-un is a better friend of the United States than Joe Biden. And that is what their people view. We'll show a, a wacky poll in a second that goes to the heart of these issues. But Brett, Jordy, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, whatever you want to call Trump. Let me just say this. I get so fed up with people in the Twitterverse or out there that say, uh, you guys have Trump derangement syndrome. How, how are you still talking about Trump? Well, it's because he's the leader, the leader of the Republican Party. And when he speaks, everyone who's anyone in the Republican Party just bows down and kisses his ass. His words are important. We have to cover it and you have to pay attention to his craziness. Yeah, and I, I liked watching the reporters who were there reporting on it. You had Greg Bluestein, who uh, works at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, I believe it's called. He said he's covered more than two dozen of these Trump rallies across the nation and that this is the smallest crowd he has ever seen since Trump won in 2016. Stephen Fowler said something very similar. It's almost time for Trump to speak here. It's the smallest rally I've ever covered here. And it goes on and on. Mike Sington, 
says it's over for the washed up, disgraced ex-president Trump draws smallest crowd yet at rally. He is blaming cold weather, a classic Trump. And meanwhile, you have all these, you know, Trump sycophants like Liz Harrington going, there are 40,000 people there, 40 to 35,000 people. You know, the, the, the fake news is lying to you. And you have all these other nuts being like, it's so amazing. Trump, the most powerful man in the world who hit a hole in one earlier in the day, then performs to a sellout 40,000 crowd yeah, in front of a Kim door. Jong-un it's level Kim Jong Un. Yeah, it's Kim Jong Un. It's Putin. It's weird. It, the, the whole MAGA culture is just very, very, very strange. Even when you see these videos of like Marjorie Taylor Greene walking and giving high fives to people and people taking selfies with her and Matt Gates and all that. It's just a weird celebrity culture of outcasts and misfits and losers and and people who are frankly they're crazy. I mean, they're crazy. Let's yeah. let's let's be real. They, they well, have real, real, real problems, but they don't get a pass for having those real problems exa- because exactly. they've turned it into hate. And there was a PRI survey in 2021. Brett, I'm not sure you sent me this survey earlier that shows about one in five Americans agree with the core tenets of QAnon. This was in this Stop. recent survey. Seriously. So this was the question. The government, media and financial worlds in the U.S. are controlled by a group of Satan worshiping pedophiles who run a global child sex trafficking operation. Five percent of Americans completely agree with that. Eleven percent mostly agree. Twenty percent mostly disagree and 60 percent completely disagree. That just goes to show you what is being one fed to uh, people. And two, like if you were to ask Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, they would likely be in that poll of completely agree, mostly agree. Not going to lie to you. This poll scares the shit out of me. I mean, think about how many people that is. Okay, say it's 20%, right? And I just looked it up. How many people over 18 are in the United States? Because I'm assuming we're not talking about children in this poll. Um, We got about 260 million adults in the United States. 20% of that is like 52 million people. So they're saying like 52 million Americans agree with the statement. The government, media, financial worlds in the U.S. are controlled by a group of Satan worshiping pedophiles who run a global sex trafficking operation, child sex trafficking operation, 50 million people. That's that's we talk about the derangement, though, of the radical right extremists who believe this. This is who they are. I also want you to play, Brett, this clip that Patriot takes in uh, Patriot takes is just one of the most genius social media uh, companies that exist, um, uh, political job. action groups that exist. That, that, what they find and what they put out there each day is just some of the most hard-hitting stuff. And they don't get enough credit. But play this clip of Madison Cawthorn, who went on a podcast talking about what he's observed in Washington, D.C. as a member of Congress. I mean, the sexual perversion that goes on in Washington, I mean, it, being kind of a young guy in Washington with the average age is probably 60 or 70, and I look at all these people, a lot of them that I, you know, I've looked up to through my life, I've always paid attention to politics, guys that, you know, it, then all of a sudden you get invited to like, well, hey, we're going to have kind of a, a, a sexual get together at one of our homes. You should come. And I'm like, what, what, what did you just ask me to come to? Yeah. Uh, and then you realize they're asking you to come to an orgy yeah. uh, or, or the fact that, you know, there's some of the people that are leading on the movement to try and remove, you know, addiction in our country. And then you watch them do, you know, a key bump of cocaine right in front of you. 
And it's like, wow, this is, this is wild. Wow. Congressman um, Adam Kinziger's response is incredible. <laughs> he goes, well, I've never seen that, but I also don't run in the far right freedom caucus circles. So maybe I would have one criticism of Adam Kinzinger's comment, though. The far right freedom caucus circles. That circle is the circle of mainstream GOP. Sadly, Adam Kinzinger is the fringe. Yeah. What would be mm -hmm. a traditional conservative, what conservatives now call themselves conservative. And you know that I don't refer to the GOP in any way as conservative. These are the least conservative people. That's conservative. I mean, having one, orgies and doing bumps of cocaine, very bumps conservative. Bumps of cocaine, orgies, they're raising your taxes, they're pro QAnon. That's conservative. They call themselves conservative. These people are out of their mind. And you're seeing it seep into the mainstream more and more every single day, just like we saw during the confirmation hearings of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. All the stuff that they were pushing from Holly to Cruz to cotton, everything about this child porn, all the stuff that they were pushing. It's because 20% of Americans their believe in QAnon, and that is the base of the Republican Party, not Adam Kinzinger. If, if the base of the Republican Party was Adam Kinzinger people, they would be all about that life, but <laughs> they're absolutely not. And that should, our, that's why I'm just going to say that's why the fight is so important. And that's why we need to stay constantly activated, because I'll tell you right now, those people vote. Those people vote. Those yeah. people don't go, oh, well, I didn't get the package I wanted in the last bill. And then no, those people go and vote because to them, it's life or death. It's if I don't vote, the child sex trafficking pedophile Satan worshipers are going to ruin my life. So you need to vote with that same intensity that they're voting at or otherwise that 20 percent is going to envelop the rest of us. And then we're in a very, very dangerous place. After our interview with Craig Unger, we are going to discuss how the Democrats will win in 2022 in 10 minutes or less. We will break it down for you Ooh. because the Ooh. Democrats have the winning issues on literally every single issue. So let's bring in Craig Unger. But before doing that, let's give a special shout out to our sponsors. First, Athletic Greens, our sponsor and partner, Athletic Greens. Everyone knows I love Athletic Greens. You know the before and after photos of me before Athletic Greens. I thought I was getting my vitamins. I thought I was taking what I was supposed to be taking, but uh-uh, I was not getting it. And Athletic Greens, I started taking it and I was absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source, superfoods, probiotics and adaptogens that will help you start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery focus, aging, all of these things. And it's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free or gluten free, this is for you. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb and it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. 
with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Midas. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash Midas. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance that all the Midas Mighty are using. The Midas Mighty, love it. I see your post, athleticgreens.com slash Midas. This podcast is also brought to you by Express V. P-N. One of the scariest things, Brett and Jordy, is that your mm-hmm. phone carrier collects the data on whatever it is you're doing. You may not realize that. You know, as a lawyer who needs to protect attorney, client, confidential information going back to the start, do I want my Uh, phone carriers to know like all of the data and stuff that I'm researching for my clients. Uh Uh-uh. And these phone companies have admitted to it. They say that they can quote better understand your interests, but really all they want to do is sell your activity to advertisers, stuff like the sites you visited and you've been up to online. The more they can get on you, the larger their paycheck becomes. That's why I use express VPN. So what I say is like, when you go out in the sun, you use suntan lotion, right? You use sunscreen. Mm -hmm. When you go online, use ExpressVPN. It's an app that prevents your phone carrier from being able to see the sites you visit and sell it off to third parties. All it takes is one tap of a button and all of your network data gets encrypted and rerouted through ExpressVPN secure servers for ultimate privacy. Who wouldn't want that? Not only does it shield your web browsing, ExpressVPN protects all of your network data so you can stay private even when using your favorite apps. Whether you're an iPhone, Android, or even a tablet user, ExpressVPN works on all your devices. The best part is one subscription can be used on up to five devices at the same time. I have my whole family using ExpressVPN too. When your phone carrier tracks you, that's a gross invasion of your privacy. You can either keep letting them cash in on you or visit expressvpn.com slash Midas to get the same VPN that I use. Take back your online privacy today and use our link to get Three extra months for free. Incredible. We worked it out with ExpressVPN to give you three extra months free. That's EXPRESSVPN.com slash Midas. ExpressVPN.com slash Midas and get those three extra months free. Without further ado, let's bring in our guest, Craig Unger. And welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. We are joined by Craig Unger, who is a veteran investigative journalist, best-selling author of five books on how the GOP waged war on our democracy, including the critically acclaimed American Compromat, how the KGB cultivated Donald Trump and related tales of sex, greed, power, and treachery. And no, sadly, it's not fiction that is real life. And we're seeing the implications of that today. And Craig is also has a new column out in the New Republic called How Republicans Spent Decades Cozying Up to Putin's Kremlin. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Let's go start with really your most famous, probably most prescient book right now that everyone's talking about, American Compromise, although all your works are great. And I would tell all of our listeners to go back and and, and check all your works. But in this book, you answer the question, is Donald Trump a Russian asset? And that answer, it's it's no equivocation. You know, I hate when I bring people on these podcasts. (laughs) Like you answer the question, yes, and here is how. Can, Can you tell us exactly what that means? 
Right. Well, I'm not the first person to answer yes. And, and a lot of the top uh, intelligence officials in the country, John Brennan of the CIA, Clapper, Michael Morrell, have all said that Trump was a Russian asset. And I, I asked Brennan exactly what that meant, but he's never drilled down. And no, no one ever, I've never seen an American official drill down and say exactly what does that mean? And what I did was uh, I tried to go all the way back and uh, one of my most important sources. I mean, it, it's also sort of amazing if, if you're around the D.C. area, there are a lot of former KGB agents who are very well informed and are willing to talk. And among them, uh, I reached out to Yuri Schwitz, who was a major in the KGB. He was based in Washington Station in the 80s, recruiting Americans to spy for the Soviets. And at the same time, his colleagues in New York Station were recruiting Donald Trump. And uh, according to Yuri, the way that started out was in 1980, 42 years ago, Trump was uh, going through what was his first and one of his very few genuine real successes in real estate. He was building the uh, what is now the Grand Hyatt Hotel right next to Grand Central Station. And like any hotel, it needed lots of TV sets. You would think most chains like Hyatt or whatever would have reliable third-party vendors for those kinds of big purchases. Trump went to a small uh, shop in uh, lower Manhattan called Joy Ludd Electronics. It was owned by former Soviet emigres, including a man named Simeon Kislin. Uh, and, and according to Yuri Schwitz, Kislin was a spotter agent. I, I should say that Kislin has denied this, but he did. But he did confirm the sale of hundreds of TV sets to Trump. And this was the operation that opened the door of the KGB uh, to Donald Trump. And things sort of started to flow from there. Uh, there would be other people in the KGB who met with Trump, including a woman named Natalia Dubinina. And she was working at the United Nations General Assembly Library. And that if you, if you go back and look at the clippings from the 1980s, the uh, UN library was famously a place, a, a nest of Soviet spies. And she met with Trump uh, a couple of times. She wrote about it in the Russian press. And from that, um, the KGB invited Trump to Moscow. Uh, he was filled with, uh, Yuri told me exactly what happens when, when that, and, and they're sort of uh, bombarded with KGB talking points. And Yuri did that with the spies he recruited. And though Yuri was not specifically dealing with Trump, we see that when Trump came back, suddenly he was full of all these KGB talking points. And he talked to reporters at the Washington Post, uh, the um, New York Times, that suddenly he should be negotiating the strategic arms limitation talks. I remember this is a time when Trump was palling around with Jeffrey Epstein and they were having parties with 38 people, uh, 28 of whom were young girls and uh, two of whom were Epstein and Trump. So the idea that he was very serious uh, about foreign policy, a little hard to take. Nevertheless, he he dipped his toe in the water to run for presidency in 88. And uh, among the things he did was take out a full page ad in the New York Times, Washington Post and the Boston Globe. And it was full of uh, talking points, which was exactly what the KGB wanted to hear. And when Yuri uh, went back to Moscow and he was in Yasinevo, which is the headquarters for uh, counterintelligence. Uh, the active measures department delivered a cable 
and they were touting their greatest and latest success, uh, having recruited a new asset, and they attached as evidence this ad, uh, full-page ad in the New York Times, uh, signed by by Donald Trump. So uh, you know you can start from there and see all the favors that Russia, former Soviet emigres, members of the Russian mafia did for Donald Trump, and then just see what Trump did in return for them. I, I think a lot of people want explicit quid pro quos. I think that's kind of naive. It, it, the thing is, if, if you come to Trump with a few million dollars and say uh, you want to buy a condo, he's not going to ask where it comes from. And this happened in 1984. A, a Russian mobster named David Bogdan uh, came in with six million dollars in cash. Says, "I'll take five condos." That, if you just for inflation, that's uh, more than twenty-five million dollars today. This happened enormous number of times with Donald Trump. It wasn't just this one time with David Bogdan. Uh, and and I, I I think one of the areas that people don't look at nearly enough is money laundering through real estate. Mm. And it's very easy to do. And Trump has done it again and again and again. And I'd love to see that crack down on. I just want to give a quote from Yuri Schwetz from your book, American Compromat. Quote, this is about Trump. Quote, this guy is not a complicated cookie. His most important characteristics is being low intellect coupled with hyperinflated vanity. This combination makes him a dream for an experienced recruiter. And I recently commented on uh, on Twitter. I said, there's a lot of comparisons between Trump and Putin. But see, I do think Putin does have the hyperinflated vanity, but I think Putin is of a higher intellect than Trump. So Trump strikes me more in the vein of a Lukashenko, someone who would be a puppet of Putin, you know, than a Putin. And what I feel we see more and more now as all of our eyes and all of our attention has turned to Russia and Putin, the similarities, as you note in your book, between these talking points, the Putin talking points, the Trump talking points, granted Putin uses something like denazification, but in many ways it's Trump, you know, with Antifa and creating, you know, these other straw man enemies and the parallels are just so directly striking. I mean, do you believe, I mean, is we talk about an indirect kind of relationship that they have where they don't have to actually give marching orders, um, but how is the communication actually kind of taking place where the orders, where, where Trump is actually picking this up? Is he just watching Russian TV? Is it coming through Fox News? Like, how are those parallels just so direct? It looks like he got an email, even though we know Trump doesn't read emails that say, here's what you need to read today. Right. I, you know, I, I don't know all the answers to those questions, but I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of areas to look for. I mean, one is the legal establishment of America. And, and, and this is one of the things where I, I wonder how much uh, Operation Kleptocrat will crack down. But if you look at uh, the huge firms like Jones Day and Kirkland and Ellis, they represent uh, so many oligarchs, so many of the big oil company, the big oil companies, big banks of Russia, Alpha, Rosneft, and the, the whole lot. So if you look at the managing partner of Jones Day, a guy named Steve Brogan, he can talk to Vladimir Lechman, who is head of Jones Day's Moscow office and represented enormous number of Russian oligarchs and so forth, and was someone who, who Putin could deal with. 
And you also look at uh, Don McGahn, who was another senior partner at Jones Day and was White House counsel to Donald Trump. Brogan could be meeting with two of his allies, and he's got a, a wire right in to the Kremlin and the White House simultaneously. I mean, he's talking to the lawyers for two of the most powerful men in the world. Uh, similarly, uh, Kirkland and Ellis, I mean, well, William Barr was there, and so many of them were, uh, so many of his allies from Kirkland and Ellis were in the, the Trump Justice Department. Uh, what's going to happen with them? If you look at the money laundering I was talking about earlier, it didn't just happen with uh, that one time I mentioned with David Bogadam. There were at least 1,300 condos that Trump sold in his American holdings alone that ticked off the two um, predicates for money laundering, an all-cash transaction to an anonymously owned entity. That happened at least 1,300 times. I told you the day the Bogadan one which, uh, was five units. Well, there are at least 1,300 more. That's only for Trump's American properties. And you really think his properties in Panama or, or Kazakhstan were under higher supervision? Uh, that's not necessarily the Philippines. I mean, right. these countries are known for their corruption. So it probably went on on a massive scale, the, the, which would involve billions of dollars. And if you calculate for inflation, it's many billions of dollars. And that money comes out laundered, and it's no longer Russian money, right? When it's laundered. So to what extent is that in the system? I was looking at Open Secrets recently, and they counted over $180 million in Russian lobbying money going into the GOP uh, in wow. the last six years alone. That's a lot. And that doesn't include the $75 million that uh, Paul Manafort has. So I think when you add it all up, you're really talking billions of dollars. And the Russians have become most effective when they do what is hybrid warfare. I mean, I, I, I kind of see what's going on in Ukraine now as a continuum. But it, and, and what's most astonishing to me is, is it seemed to me uh, Putin and Russia had done this incredibly sophisticated hybrid warfare that caught us all unawares and was enormously effective and efficient. And now he's doing this brutal, clumsy expensive and failing old style military warfare. But it's the same Putin and we'll see how it plays out. But, but I think we have to crack down thoroughly uh, on all the Russian money coming into the GOP because the Russians own the Republican Party. Such a good observation, though, Craig, that you make is that the level of people say three dimensional chess, like infinite dimensional chess, that Putin was playing psychologically and achieving his goals over the past decade, you know, was something that, you know, you'd look at and go, you know, while disturbing for democracy, it was, it was clearly a plan. He knew what he was doing. And then you mentioned, then he does this clunky war and you're like, wait a minute, like, <laughs> that's that's what that's what this was for you know and that is you know very trumpy but but going back to the law firms that you mentioned you know so i'm about 12 years out of law school now i went to georgetown law and when you go to a school like that you get recruited by the firms that you mentioned i never went in that direction i don't think our listeners truly know when you mention those names you and i are both steeped in it but there are these big law firms where the top law students across the country get recruited to go to and that's kind of where the law schools themselves 
push you to go to. And these are not small firms. They have thousands of lawyers and thousands of paralegals. They have offices in, in all of these countries. And they, these are American law firms, though, mostly they're based in the United States. So like Jones Day, you mentioned, is based in, in Cleveland. You know, I think Kirkland and Ellis is headquartered in Chicago or New York, but they have offices all over. But they have offices in foreign countries like Russia, and they have they do lots of business with oligarchs. And you're a law school student coming out of law school in America, and you could be assigned to a case for an oligarch. And these firms are still there doing the bidding of them. And as far as I know, Craig, like if you're a public relations firm, you have to register foreign agent, foreign registration act, foreign agent. But these law firms, as far as I know, don't usually have to register as foreign agents. They try to carve out exceptions, but they're foreign agents. And the damage that that does, that's why I didn't go into big law, but that's a real problem that's harming our country. Right. And, and it's, it's quite different than representing, say, uh, I don't know, a vineyard in France and you're uh, right. representing the French government in that regard and they're perfectly legitimate commercial transactions and that's all fine and well. When you're, when you're representing Rosneft or Alpha Bank, you're representing Vladimir Putin. Uh, and and uh, I should say a lot of these guys make uh, eight figure salaries. I mean, they're, they're making a lot of they're doing quite well. Craig, do you think when we see this plan that we keep speaking about, this klepto capture plan that the DOJ has engaging in Merrick Garland released a statement saying that they were going to come after the oligarchs assets here in America. How much do you think that's going to affect what we're seeing right now in the country, the Russian influence in the country, or is this money so well hidden that it will kind of find a way to make its way to the people? Well, that's the big question. And I really don't know the answer. I mean, what, as I say, one of the keys to it is, are they really, they, I, I looked at the press releases and they say they're going after people who've taken measures to avoid anti-money anti, uh, laundering uh, regulations, but the anti-money laundering regulations, as I see it, especially in real estate, have been incredibly lax. Uh, does that mean they are going to completely change them and really, really bear down and enforce them? And I don't know the answer to that. Uh, we're we're going to have to see how it plays out. But uh, and I, I'm sure it's not just in real estate. I, I kind of gave an outline of how much uh, Trump himself may have profited from this. Yeah. This could be a billion dollars just for Trump alone. But Trump isn't the only one. Uh, there, there are plenty of other real estate. And, and by the way, Russia is not the only one who's, who's abusing these laws. Uh, the, the Emirates, uh, the Saudis, uh, China, there, there's a lot of that going on. In all, I believe it's the economist James Henry. I think he's used a figure above uh, $30 trillion in dark money out there. And if you just imagine that, that's about twice uh, America's GDP. Um, that is enough uh, to uh, ha handle a lot of corruption. And uh, there are a lot of people who are not going to walk away from it. And I think we, I mean, that, that's enough to be a powerful, powerful geopolitical force. And I think that's part of what we've been seeing in this whole uh, conflict, much of which was hybrid warfare, much of it remains as hybrid warfare. And I, and I, I think we should not take that off the battlefield, even though, uh, all the attention right now is focused on Russia being stalled in Ukraine. Uh, 
you know, let's remember uh, Operation Solar Wind, right? The, the which was one of the biggest hacking exercises last year in 2021. And they can penetrate the electric grid. Uh, there was a penetration. It was not. I don't think it was de definitively traced to Russia, but in the Tampa, Florida water supply, and someone was able to by to hack into it and raise the level of chlorine by a factor of 100. And uh, amazingly, uh, someone was doing his job and uh, uh, caught it before before it was too late. But when you but it, if not, uh, thousands of people might have died. Uh, so there's all sorts of or imagine shutting off the electric grid uh, in the middle of winter, uh, even now here in the northern part of the United States. I don't think a lot of people realize that, Craig, that they like literally have the capacity to hack our infrastructure, to hack our information, uh, you know, just in the way they disseminate disinformation and the way they've taken over our real estate. I don't know if you've saw this video, but if, if anybody listening to this wants me to send it to them, you could tweet at me. I'll, I'll get you the video. There was a video a few weeks ago that I saw about an entire city block in London, basically, that was basically known to be owned by the Russians. And it's a place where all, all these places are places where people work, where people live, apartments, et cetera. And nobody is able to actually trace the original owners of these buildings because of the system, the way it's set up. They're able to hide who actually is behind these buildings. And I just think it's a really fascinating thing and something important to know that the Russians are able to take over so much of our society in all these ways and not even be on the books about it at the end of the day. Right. Well, we can also do, do that to them to some extent. And I, I think the most successful, one of the most successful operations ever I th uh, was uh, uh, probably a joint U.S.-Israeli venture that sh uh, shut down the Iran nuclear reactors. And that was, uh, I guess, about 10 years ago. But it, it was a successful uh, intelligence operation uh, in which no one died, you know, I mean, it played a role in sort of tamping down the conflict. So American Compromise, it speaks about Trump. It also speaks about the Republican Party. And in your new article for the New Republic, you speak about how the Republican Party has been infected with this pro-Putin strain. Your article is called How Republicans Spent Decades Cozying Up to Putin's Kremlin. And in the subheader, you ask a question. You say, the man who once worked to connect indicted former Republican House Majority Leader Tom DeLay and casino Jack Abramoff, who is a lobbyist and known convicted felon, to Russia is now the chief of staff to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Any questions? Well, yes, I, I've got I got uh, plenty, plenty of questions. Um, so Marjorie Chief of Staff, who you're referring to is a guy named Ed Buckham. Tell us about uh, Buckham's connection and why should the American people be concerned about his connections to Russia? Right. Well, well what you start to see uh, in the 90s, I mean, it's important to understand how far that back this goes. And uh, also, I, I mean, we can't leave Paul Manafort out of this because uh, Manafort and Roger Stone and his other partners were part of what, what were, became known as the torturers lobby. And Ed Buckham was part of this as well. And uh, essentially what you, you know, when I was a kid just coming out of college, I remember being sort of horrified by the way big uh, defense contractors, big pharmaceuticals or big oil would buy their laws by making huge contributions through lawyers who would uh, then uh, make contributions to politicians and help write the legislation. Well, 
what Manafort and Buckham and people like that did is they globalized it. And they said, if, we, we, if we're not going to just represent American oil companies, we'll be doing Russians as well. Buckham was one of the first. Uh, he ended up getting a million dollars put into Tom DeLay at the time was one of the, mm. the two ranking Republicans at the time. And he took a six day junket with his whole team to to uh, to Moscow. They spent golfing time golfing. They met with the prime minister. Uh, it was sort of a lavish affair. And when uh, when Tom DeLay got back, a group called the United States Family Network had made a million dollar contribution. The head of the U.S. Family Network was Ed Buckham, who was also DeLay's chief of staff. So uh, it's not very hard to figure out how that came about. Uh, and today, of course, we still, Buckham was sort of drummed out of the party. This was a big scandal 25 years ago. People forget. Um, I mean, that, that's another thing you keep. Uh, the older I get, longer I cover this stuff. You see how the norms have shifted. Uh, when I was a child, uh, Eisenhower was president, his chief of staff, Sherman Adams, uh, was fired. It was a huge national scandal because he received uh, a nice fur coat from a lobbyist. <laughs> now we're talking many billions of dollars Insanity, and there's still right. nothing done about it. It is just amazing to me, you know, and, and not only that, they're representing hostile foreign powers. Russia is not our friend. Um, and, and you see this happening again and again in so many ways. I don't think people realize the strategic consequences. For example, let's take Oleg Deripaska, one of the most powerful oligarchs, one of the closest to Putin. And he is a, a, the czar of the aluminum industry. He's behind Rusal, the Russian aluminum conglomerate. Well, aluminum is a strategic resource. By that, I mean it's used in aerospace, airplanes. Uh, it's used by Boeing. It's used for commercial jets. It's used for military uh, aircraft. So do you really want a hostile foreign power in charge of your aluminum industry? And here you have... Uh, Deripaska approaching Mitch McConnell uh, to build a plant in Kentucky. It looks like this is dead now, but, but still, this is what is going on. And McConnell uh, voted to lift sanctions on Deripaska uh, at the anticipation of having some of uh, his money uh, come into Kentucky and into, into the, uh, the Republican Party. I mean, you have other ways it's flowing in as well. There are naturalized American citizens like uh, Leonard, uh, Leonid Blavatnik, who is another billionaire oligarch, but since he's an American citizen, he can pour in as much as he wants to uh, various super PACs for the Republicans. And that's exactly what he does. How do you think this Ed Buckham connection with Marjorie Taylor Greene happens? How does he come to be the chief of staff for Marjorie Taylor Greene out of all this? Does he see her as some sort of unwitting idiot who he could latch on to and then help push pro-Putin talking points and things with her? Like, I, I, how does this happen? Well, I, I, I don't know the specifics as much as I, I want to. I did reach out to him four or five times and he never got back to me. <laughs> Not surprisingly, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, I, as a rule of thumb, I think it's worth following the money. And, and I think it's naive of people to think that there, there are always explicit quid pro quos. Um, you know, I'd always wondered about this congressman, uh, Kurt Weldon, who was one of the first, not exactly a, a, a famous guy, but he was one of the first congresspeople who was known as 
Putin's favorite congressman, in other words, Dana Rohrabacher, who is also tied up with Ed Bucker. Uh, yeah. Um, and so McCarthy famously said uh, there are two people who uh, who I believe Putin pays, Rohrabacher and uh, Trump. It was the famous. Absolutely. Quote. And for Kurt, Kurt Weldon, you, you end up, if you dig deep enough, you can find out that his young daughters, who was in her 20s then, didn't have much professional experience. And she was suddenly making half a million dollars uh, working as a publicist uh, for some Russian. So crazy. Is, and, and back in the 90s, that was pretty good pay for a young woman in her 20s, you know. So, you know, one of the things you stated in your article, you said for more than 25 years, the party of Reagan has been transforming itself into the party of Putin, only to discover that Vladimir Putin may not be a great role model after all. I'm wondering with the stories that you're telling about, you mentioned Mitch McConnell, you mentioned William Barr. In Trump, they clearly saw vanity and low intellect, as we hit on earlier. What did the Russians see in the Republican Party as this is who we're going to latch on to? Well, I think there's greed and self-interest is the most obvious. It's just money, money, money. Um, I, I, I think there's also a willingness to detach themselves from re- reality. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> extraordinary to me. Um, I mean, uh, I'm not a pro wrestling fan, but it's a huge sport in the United States. And, uh, you, you, you know, if you, you remember Kefefe, do you remember the, uh, when Trump tweeted Kefefe? How, how, how could you forget? How could we forget Kefefe? <laughs> well, in, in, I, I started Googling around about the early days of pro wrestling and they had a term, I think it was called Kefabi. It was like Kefefe. It was not. Kefabe, I think. That, that may be it. I don't know how to pronounce it. But, but they, in the early days, they were saying, well, are we a sporter? Are we entertaining? Is this real or is it not? And the truth is that or whatever it is came to stand for the suspension of disbelief. So that, you know what, you're, you may be a fan, you're a fan of gorgeous George because he's a good guy and you're rooting for him and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what he's really like or what the details are, you're behind him and there's always a hero and a villain. And, and I think the, the Republican party has become a lot like that. And I mean, it, it's fascinating watching them do this, this pirouette on Putin and now say he's a bad guy when they've been taking money from him all this time. Uh, and, and what they're going to do and they started doing is they're going to blame Biden and say it's because he was weak. Um, and, and I think the real truth is if Trump had been reelected, God forbid, there, he would have gotten out of NATO. We know that from the reporting of the Washington Post already. Right. And he was acting that way. It's entirely consistent with the way he was when he was president. We would have seen something entirely different happening now, which is when the Russian army uh, marched in, there would have been, I mean, the display of unity with with Biden and NATO was was extraordinary to me. I mean, it was overwhelming. I, I went so far as the first favorable tweet I've ever t- tweeted in my life. I said, <laughs> isn't it amazing to see... Uh, uh, Biden and NATO working together after uh, Trump had destroyed NATO. It has been. And, and uh, I, I, if Trump had been, re-elect, been reelected, I'm sure that would not have happened. There would have been no NATO and we would not have been seeing the extraordinary response by Ukraine itself. They, they would have felt, been felt deserted. No, no doubt in my mind that you are 100 percent spot on there. Now, that's the GOP. What do you make of 
the far right media stations, the Fox News, the OANs, the Newsmax. What's up with their messaging? Why are they so fervently pro-Putin? Well, Fox is a really interesting case, especially uh, Tucker Carlson. I want to do some more research on that before, you know, I've read around it. Uh, Tucker, you know, his his relationship to Viktor Orban is very interesting. He did seem to make a big switch around 2016, and he's been just very, very pro-Putin ever since. Uh, Now he's doing some tap dancing because it's not looking so good. But uh, I'm not sure that shows what's really in his heart. Fox is an international company, right? And, and they're, they have huge properties all over the world. And I would think it could damage their reputation, what, what Tucker has been saying, and, and, and have legal consequences. That has not played out, but I'm sure it's something that's discussed at the highest level of Fox. Uh, and, and that means I'm sort of interested in... Uh, their chief legal officer is a, is a man named Viet Dinh. Uh, Rupert Murdoch is now, I think, in his 90s and is uh, uh, not quite as hands-on as he once was. He handed off to his son, Lachlan Murdoch. But Lachlan moved back to Sydney, Australia, leaving behind Viet Dinh as the chief legal officer. So uh, I, I'd love to know what he's really thinking and doing on this, uh, on this matter. And I know you said that you knew you're going to do some more research um, on those stations in large, but do you think like Murdoch and the Murdochs, do you think they know the division, the civil unrest that they've stoked in this country? I think they have to. It really is odd when you, when you, how people are isolated in their bubbles. I, I, I wonder, does Putin really know? Is it possible he can't uh, listen to CNN or, I mean, how isolated are they? Uh, uh, I mean, does, is it possible that doesn't get back to him? My view is it it has to seep through sooner or later. I mean, he's already had one high profile resignation. And I and I would think someone like Viet Dinh uh, is very aware of, of the polarization. And, and but but I, th- I think part of the point is that that is profitable. Right. Uh, that brings in more money to them, the more polarization. I mean, if we were. Uh, you know, a quiet United country who's going to watch Fox News. It is like watching pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. No, you're, you're exactly right. Profit over people, as, as some people like to say. Uh, and it's sad. It's a really sad thing. And I just have one more question for you, because I know we're running out low on time here. And thank you so much for giving us this time. It's been amazing. Through all of your research, your writings, you know, would you consider Donald Trump the biggest embarrassment slash <laughs> just least patriotic figures in American history? Now, he's just heinous beyond belief. And I, I was stunned. I, I was in New York Magazine in the 80s. And, I, and uh, even then, I found him a, a sort of a repulsive character. I mean, he, but, it was, but at least it was just, okay, you have these, let's see, this, let's see, real estate developer. That happens, right? But they were giving him, they were glamorizing him. And it, and it was good for sales. It, it was, you know catnip for the gossip columnists. He would call them up. He fed that and they bought it. And, and I think there is a, a, certainly a part of the mainstream media uh, deserves a little, a lot of the blame for elevating him to what he became. Mm-hmm. Greg, I think you're right there. And there's a lot of blame, as, as you know, Jordy stated in his question, as Brett mentioned, you know, on Fox. I mean, you know, because they're the direct actor but you think about the mainstream media you think about what it is they're covering what their choices are it is obvious 
without even massive amounts of research. You've delved deep, though, to give the answers and the receipts. But it's not I mean, like Trump, Trump congratulated Putin on being man of the year, like like, you know, the, the Republicans are out there rooting for Putin in public right now. And you barely hear a peep from the mainstream media about an entire political party in the Republicans who have basically surrendered their patriotism, have surrendered to Putin. You just don't hear about it. And they talk about Democrats, Republicans, you know, as though it's like, you know, oh, you know, th this side's winning today and that side's winning today. It's like one side is uh, completely traitors. Like, I, I don't know how else to say it. If my side, if Democrats became traitors, I'd stop being a Democrat. But like, can we just like, like the media needs to focus on this. Right. And it's especially, you know, I, I grew up during the Cold War and the Republicans back then were the hardline Cold War warriors against Moscow. And suddenly they're in Moscow's pocket. It's quite, quite extraordinary. Craig Unger, thank you so much for joining us on the pod. Everybody go out and buy them. I'm sure people have it already. I might, I might as mighty know you, Craig, but if you don't have it, you got to get it immediately. American Compromise, how the KGB cultivated Donald Trump and related tales of sex, greed, power, and treachery. Go and buy that right after the interview and check out Craig's most recent column in the New Republic, how Republicans spent decades cozying up to Putin's Kremlin. Craig, it's been great speaking to you. Slightly scary and nerve wracking, but I'm sure you get that a lot when you hear these. But we could diagnose the problem Problem, that's how we fix it. Well, thank you. I enjoyed being with you. It's a great interview with Craig Unger. Um, Compromise, a great book. I like that he doesn't mince words. I like that. Very direct. And I'm not going to mince words here. The Democrats are going to win in 2022 if they follow this very simple formula. Stop calling Republicans conservative. Just stop it. That's number one. They're not conservative. Frame who they are. They are radical right extremists who want to destroy our democracy. Repeat after me. Republicans are radical right, right extremists, extremists who want, who to, want destroy to destroy democracy. our democracy. We could add on to that. You know what they also want to do? What they mean? want to increase your taxes. They want to increase your taxes. Let's add on. Republicans are radical right, right extremists who want to want overthrow to democracy and they want to increase your taxes. Your taxes. It's going to be and a where long do we get <laughs> And where do we get that from? Literally, they that's in the plan. The plan is to raise your taxes. Show this clip of Rick Scott on Fox News. Oh, I love Fox when they news go on to Fox their news credit, and John Roberts, back. who's pretty good. John <laughs> Roberts says that's literally what your plan is. Play it. Recently put out an 11 point plan to rescue America. Two of the big points of which are, quote, all Americans should pay some income tax to have skin in the game, even if a small amount. Currently, over half of Americans pay no income tax. It also says all federal legislation sunsets in five years. If a law is worth keeping, Congress can pass it again. So that would raise taxes on half of Americans and potentially sunset programs like Medicare, Medicaid and Social Security. Why would you propose something like that in an election year? <laughs> sure. Well, John, that's, of course, the Democrat talking points. It's a no, no, it's plan. in the plan. 
It's in well, the plan. But, here's, but here's this thing about reality for a second. It's First of all, let's talk but, about but, but Medicare. Senator, but Senator, hang on. John. So it's not a Democratic talking point. It's in the plan. Okay, so yeah. let's add to it. The Republicans <laughs> are radical right, right extremists, extremists who want to want overthrow, to overthrow democracy. democracy. They want to raise, raise taxes. taxes. And they want to, you heard it there, destroy Social Security. They and want Medicare. to take away your Social Security. <laughs> okay? Could we, could we repeat this over and over again? Let's add to it. What they also want to do is take away a woman's right to choose. They want to have the government get involved in those decisions. They want to take away your ability to get contraception. They want to outlaw contraception. They want to remove your right to choose, outlaw contraception. So should we tie all of these kind of concepts together now? The Republicans are radical right extremists who want to overthrow our democracy. They want to raise taxes. They want to destroy Social Security. They want to ban contraception. They want to take away the right to choose. I could keep adding on. They want to ban books. They are pro-racism. They want another civil war. They are pro-insurrection. I can go on and on. Repetition, folks. Repetition, folks. But then I want to focus on the positive. Like we have the lowest unemployment under Biden since 1969. The number of Americans implying for unemployment benefits last week fell to its lowest level in 52 years as the U.S. job market continues to show strength in the midst of rising costs and an ongoing violence. Virus pandemic. So positive news. Positive yeah, but what news. about what about spending and the deficit and debt? Because oh, all deficit. I hear from the oh, right banner how about that spend liberals, right? How about Biden's budget is projected to cut the deficit by over one trillion dollars, whereas the deficit already fell already from 3.1 trillion to 2.8 trillion in 2021 and is expected to fall another 1.4 trillion dollars this year biden is cutting the deficit that trump created republicans are not conservative republicans are radical right-wing extremists who want to destroy democracy, who want to raise taxes, who want to destroy your ability to get Social Security, who want to ban contraception, who want to take away your right to choose, who want to ban books, who want to increase the deficit, while the Democrats are the ones fighting for you. That is how you win 2022 in under 10 minutes. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this edition of well done. the well Midas done. Touch podcast. Ben, Brett, and Jordy fighting for you each and every day. Special thanks to our guest, Craig Unger. I also want to give a shout out to our sponsors, AG1 and Express VPN. Check them out. Support our sponsors. That supports our show. Thank you so much. We will see you next time on the Midas Touch podcast. Shout out to the Midas Midas!